0: Welcome to Important, Not Important. This is a special episode, um, one-off, whatever you want to call it. Uh, This is the audio and video version of the COVID update piece, the third in a trilogy so far of updates over the past two years about where we are and how it's going and where we might go from here, uh, from the top down, from uh, global uh, participation and uh, incentives all the way down to uh, new vaccine. So I hope this is helpful to you. Um, Good news is uh, I will have a teleprompter soon, which is pretty exciting. Uh, Bad news is it's not here yet. So you're welcome. Here is my COVID update. And again, this is a snapshot in time for um, late May 2022. Um, The short version is it's not great, Bob, out there, Uh, but there's so much we can do, just probably not where you think. Here's the longer version. Mm -hmm. Um, Soup to nuts, I am more concerned about COVID today than I've been at really any point in the past year. I don't think it's going to be a horror show soon, not like it was before, Um, but it's everywhere right now, and we haven't yet put ourselves in a position to get ahead of a virus whose entire job it is to find ways around our defenses, and now it's doing just that. So my usual caveats, If you're new here, one, I'm not a virologist. Uh, I'm not an MD. Uh, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a policymaker. I'm not a journalist. I'm not a cat. Uh, I am a formal liberal arts major with a free newsletter and podcast. And I've spent the past few years trying to learn about the world's most complex problems from a huge, broad array of incredibly smart, capable, and thoughtful folks uh, to understand where we are, uh, why we're here, where we might be going, and most importantly, what the hell you and I can do about it all. So last caveat, uh, I'd love to be wrong here. I'm wrong all of the time, most of the day. I will be the first to celebrate being wrong on this. I will rise from the ashes like a phoenix and dance on my own grave, should my wife and children splurge for one, which is not guaranteed. Some background, in January, 2020, which I know feels like a long time ago, I mentioned the flu-like disease thought to have originated at a Wuhan market in our weekly newsletter. In early March 2020, I wrote about the first of these, really. I wrote about the facts on the ground, as far as I could tell, and made some educated guesses about others. Um, For instance, I wrote that masks might not work because the virus droplets might be too big and healthcare professionals needed those. Tough call. But I also wrote that, all things considered, uh, you should stay home immediately, that the market would crash, that your office and kids' school would soon be closed for months at least, and that uh, the baseball season and the Olympics would be canceled. Last November, 2021, I wrote about variant uh, B117, which is the original Omicron variant as we know it now, and how it could quote unquote ravage this country and make 2020 seem like child's play. Uh, which is what it did. All along, I have covered the broader shifts of COVID every week uh, in the newsletter, standing on the shoulders, of of course, some of the most incredible journalism we've ever seen. So to be clear, this piece isn't about the moral crimes of the past two years. Millions dead across the globe, an official tally of a million dead in the U.S., even if it's probably at least twice that, Uh, a tally we've normalized either way. Uh, And the complete failure to mourn those uh, we've lost. So this piece isn't about all the frontline workers who did the jobs the rest of us don't want to do, uh, the black and Hispanic people who were sacrificed, or the elderly who've made up the bulk of uh, COVID deaths so far in the United States. Those people are gone, uh, and we can't get them back, and so actually they can't catch or spread this fucking virus anymore. Uh, We can, and so here's the facts on the ground. Because of a huge, overlapping variety of societal and institutional failures, our bodies and health system, however immunized, are under from an increasingly wide variety of subvariants of our own making. Um, we have chosen not to vaccinate the world. And at home, we have almost completely let our guard down, relying on a population whose existing vaccines that we got months and months ago, if not a year ago, uh, are becoming less potent every day, and a population who's reluctant to get any additional new ones, no matter how capable those boosters may be. Institutionally, we are increasingly doing drastically less, not to only quell current variants, but to prevent new ones to research, support, and treat those with long COVID, to alleviate a hospital system that is, through compound interest, overwhelmed and understaffed, and most vitally, to communicate how this could get bad all over again and quickly. And that's all before the November elections. So today I want to elaborate on all of those factors, again, soup to nuts, and help you understand where I think we are, where we might be going, and why, and what we can do about it. So, look, while historically our numbers remain low, and that's awesome, there's a very good chance these variants and subvariants keep evolving to feature better immunity evasiveness, leaving our current vaccines markedly more ineffective and our population uh, exposed much more than it is today. So, again, the biggest caveat in the world I might be very, very wrong, and I truly hope I am. But I don't think I am. Some background. It's easy to forget, after everything we've been through, uh, uh, here's a vast oversimplification of how we got here. There's a novel virus, uh, and the N was everyone on this planet, the single habitable planet, as far as we know, in the galaxy. Our only defense was to stay home. And we mostly kind of did that. Uh, Hugely varied, of course, over time and place. Almost two and a half years later, there's Billions of unique physiological circumstances uh, among us, factoring in a growing medley of vaccines and vaccine sequences, time since last vaccination, boosters, individualized antibody and T cell responses, uh, a huge collection of variants and exposures that are growing every day, pre-existing conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So besides that little taste of continually increased medical and sociological complexity, here are the major factors driving this next stage of the pandemic. Mitigation, global vaccine equity, childhood vaccinations, boosters, variants, evasiveness, uh, repeat infections, long COVID, leadership, and um, let's see, racism, uh, burnout, uh, and insistence on moving on or denial— Inflation, climate change, I know, you're welcome. Uh, And of course, another American election with seemingly existential stakes. So it's important to understand that for each of these factors, we've chosen the path of least resistance. We've prioritized the short term over the long term and emphasized the individual over the communal. It's safe to say, and again, this is just me, this is not how you do public health effectively. My ongoing metaphor is that the virus was a pop quiz on all of the societal choices we made in a few hundred years prior to December 2019. And despite the heroic uh, last-minute efforts of many, we mostly failed because of who we are, who we chose to be, uh, and what we built. The choices we've made in just the past two years will, perhaps irrevocably, uh, define the rest of our lives. Here's what's happening right now. Hospitalizations are up about 134% from all-time lows in the United States in the last month. And they're rising uh, even in states and cities with the most testing and most vaccines. So still historically low by a long shot, but rising. And most importantly, we don't have the full picture, starting with cases. So consider the home test conundrum. I've written ad nauseum about this the past few months about the benefits and the drawbacks of home tests. So they're long, long overdue, right? Uh, But these plentiful and sometimes free home tests are a private and easy to use and understand uh, way of testing yourself and your loved ones. Um, One line is good, two lines is bad. But home tests that come back positive or negative uh, don't count towards official totals. So the case numbers you're seeing, for instance, if you looked up right now, your town or your state, Um, The case numbers you're seeing are probably, in reality, 10 times what you're seeing on that dashboard today, 10 times. So coming back to hospitalizations, those two are rising, uh, probably a little more accurate what you're seeing reported, and more on that in a minute. And it's all relative, of course, per The Washington Post. Uh, The roughly 23,000 patients with COVID in hospitals over the last week still represent near the lowest hospitalization levels of the entire pandemic. And that continues to be fantastic fucking news, right? It's also fantastic news because we've mismanaged this thing so much that 23,000 weekly hospitalizations is among the best news we've had. The question is, will it stay that way? And now I wanna talk about your face and masks and mitigation. As uh, Oliver Pybus tweeted this week, R0 depends on both the intrinsic transmissibility of a pathogen and the properties of the population it finds itself in. A change in either can alter transmission behavior. So, on both fronts, we find ourselves simultaneously in entirely new territory and back to square one. For a million reasons, immunizations, politics, and fatigue equal among them, we are currently, aside from vaccines, utilizing fewer COVID mitigation strategies than since March 2020. Just a quarter of U.S. workers are covered by vaccine mandates in the workplace, and test and mask mandates are either patchwork or nearly gone, despite more people in offices this week since we all fled them two years ago. In schools, a few mask mandates have returned with rising cases, but there's just one state out of 50, Hawaii, that requires them, while five states have banned mandates altogether and six more states are waiting on court approval to do that. Masks are no longer required on US public transportation or airlines, nor for flights to most of the European Union. So mitigation is basically over. And look, as cases dropped after Omicron to the lowest level in years, we dropped our first line of defense. We were anxious for that. We so many of us had been had been waiting for that And I get it, because whether or not you and I actually did stop masking, or were able to, or were safely able to, we've all dreamt of going back to the before times, hoping we could just get back to those times, wanting to put our masks in a fucking drawer for good this time, only to unexpectedly find them years later and remembering, fuck me, remember all that? Instead, we've ignored that the before times are what brought us here, that we were tested and failed, that we are changed even if we refuse to change, that there is no going back. We made masks about liberty for all, and the most vulnerable among us, the ones who couldn't drop their masks or get shots or both, continue to pay the price. So no more masks for most folks. So we better hope those vaccines are up to date. Sixteen months after groundbreaking vaccines became unexpectedly, unbelievably available, Over 34% of the world's population, 2.7 billion people, haven't received a single dose. And that includes 84% of people in low-income countries. And we've talked about this on the podcast a few times and have written about it endlessly. But this is so important for you to understand. The global vaccination machine is, is so hellishly complicated, right? And it's something I learned very early in my very informal public health education. Um, But as the recently late Paul Farmer, founder of Partners in Health, said and wrote, Those whose lives are rarely touched by structural violence are uniquely prone to recommend resignation as a response to it. In settings in which all of us are at risk, as is sometimes true of contagion shared through the air we breathe, we must also contemplate containment nihilism, the attitude that preventing contagion simply isn't worth it. And you see, the machine, it can't run at all if you don't charge up the battery. No gas metaphors here, friends. Um, and despite f- knowing full well how a virus works, the global north and America among them has decided that those people, other people, just don't matter. And it's true. Despite several on-the-record and many off-the-record conversations, no one has been able to convince me otherwise. The receipts are in. COVAX, has failed because its would-be sugar daddy, Gavi, is broke. And that's because countries like the United States simply refused to fund these organizations to the level required to even put a debt in this thing, much less slow it down, much less get ahead of it. We refused to fund and support countries historically swamped with malaria and childhood malnutrition and tuberculosis, and HIV, occasionally Ebola, where misinformation and distrust run rampant, And so, conversely, vaccination rates are underwhelming despite the myriad, decades-long and Herculean efforts of local health workers. Sure, President Biden convened the second global COVID summit and world leaders promised $3.1 billion new funding, but that's at least $15 billion short of what was expected. Biden, who last week again had to strip global COVID funding out of a Ukraine war bill because it wouldn't pass with it, said of the pandemic, we have to prevent complacency. This summit is an opportunity to renew our efforts to keep our foot on the gas when it comes to getting this pandemic under control and preventing future health crises. Arrested Development Voice narrator, he gave them 20% of what they asked for. So sure, yes, the U.S. licensed 11 COVID-related technologies to the U.N., Estheron Barone, head of policy at the Medicines Patent Pool, a UN-backed public health group that promotes access to vaccines and therapies, explained to Politico how these aren't desperately needed products to be used today, but simply technologies. He said, it's hard to tell when a specific product will become available, noting, there is no promise that technologies and candidates will eventually become useful products. But a lot of them look extremely promising. Alan Tohoun, who founded the nonprofit Medicines Patent Pool, agreed that technology licenses are helpful, but also said, you can't have sustainable vaccine manufacturing capacity if you're only allowed to produce something when the world is on fire. The world's on fire. We've denied a few billion people water cans, despite knowing full well exactly how a fire spreads. So sure, yeah. Africa got its first COVID vaccine factory up and running, which is awesome. It hasn't received a single fucking order. Because after two years of COVID and everything else they deal with on a day-to-day basis, fatigue has set in. There's so much else to do. It might actually be too late. So we can talk all day about funding or manufacturing or distribution or distrust or misinformation, but effectiveness comes down to reliability. And there's none of it. And we don't have any time to waste. I don't want to be melodramatic here, but the circumstances haven't changed. Every single unvaccinated person who's infected by the virus could be asymptomatic or get sick, need to be hospitalized in a place that's not able to take them on, or die. We saw this in New York in 2020, in Los Angeles in 2021, and throughout the rural South, and we continue to see it across low-income countries today. In every scenario where you or someone in Ghana contracts this virus, you or they will most likely pass it to more folks and maybe, just maybe, be ground zero for a new variant. We knew this, so we developed and distributed almost 12 billion vaccine doses in just two years. It's amazing. We built immunity where once we had zero, but not everywhere or equally or fast enough. We have steadfastly and increasingly refused to get ahead of the game. And if you, reader or listener in the West, do not think that this negligence affects you, I'd encourage you to look around. Depending on your data source, the red, white, and blue is ranked somewhere in the 54th to 57th range in the world for life expectancy at about 78 ish years. You can call up the newsroom theme song if you want, but Would you like to know how that ranking plummets even further? By, during a pandemic, being 68th in the world for percentage of population that has received a two-shot vaccination course. 68th in the world. And unlike Africa, our relatively shit vaccination rates are by choice. Millions of shots remained unused as our immunity and interest continues to drop. So further, and despite a wealth of evidence for boosting immunity, just a third of eligible Americans have gotten a booster shot. COVID has done its goddamn best to wipe out everyone over 65, and yet only two-thirds of those folks have gotten a booster. Despite a nationwide firestorm over the definition of pro-life, despite a notable and tragic increase of hospitalized and dead kids since Omicron kicked off and then peaked just a few months ago, Children under five remain tragically on the precipice of being approved for their first vaccines, and only a third of eligible kids aged 5 to 11 have gotten two shots. Part of our vaccine failures come down to messaging, and boy, have we fucking blown it on messaging. We blew it so bad, one new estimate claims 319,000 goddamn American lives could have been saved if we were all vaccinated. 319,000 lives. Instead, we normalized those deaths and at least a million more. Instead, a third of Americans polled think the pandemic is over, and for good reason. I mean, we basically told them it's over. We dropped nearly all restrictions everywhere. We closed nearly all the mass vaccination sites. We certainly haven't hired the best advertisers and marketers anywhere to mount a nationwide Uncle Sam wants you to open the Windows marketing campaign for ventilation. Don't you find it confusing when public health officials tell you you can take your mask off on planes now, but also you should get another booster shot like right now? We've bungled boosters so much, changing our tune on who should get them feels like 4,000 times. When you tell people who can get them or that will respond to them, that they're fully vaccinated after two incredible shots, they're going to believe you and finally move on with their lives. And many can because they don't have underlying conditions. They can work from home. They have paid sick leave and time off. They can afford childcare. They can afford to get sick in America. But we have, for some reason, the complete inability to operate in the gray area. Let's talk about abstinence, right? This complete inability to help people understand that science and viruses and how we respond to them is a process. And if we have to keep moving the goalposts, right, and it sure shit seems like we do, we're better off, for example, using still imperfect but more relative and flexible language like up-to-date on your vaccines instead of fully vaccinated. But here's the other problem. Lots of people who could did the right thing and got vaccinated in 2020 and 2021. And then a tidal wave of folks got some early version of Omicron. Now there's another brewing surge, despite all the vaccines. And so it's kind of understandable when 19% of those people polled said doubts about the vaccine's effectiveness were holding them back from getting boosters. Because we are not being honest with people about how things change. These people did the thing. They feel fine. They can get, afford to get sick. Or they simply don't give a shit. And in some ways, our COVID response reminds me of Sandy Hook. I know. Hear me out. If a class full of kindergartners getting mowed down by semi-automatic weapons doesn't directly lead to gun control, it's probably not happening. And nine and a half years later, this country is armed to the fucking teeth. And similarly, if a pandemic that locks every person on planet Earth inside their home, if they have one, That shuts down economies and societies for months on end, that kills millions, including a huge chunk of frontline hourly workers in the US. If it doesn't directly lead to universal sick leave, paid time off, parental leave, more housing, whatever, I'm not sure it's gonna happen. So, because hashtag America millions of already marginalized Americans remain unable to take off work or get childcare or both for a third time, for a third shot, no matter how well these boosters work. Even though these people are statistically two to four times more likely to get the virus, to get sick and die. Much less to take off for the chance that they'll feel shitty side effects requiring more help or more time off and lost wages in the days after their booster. All of this, keep in mind, as these shots have been available for free. Where once the lines stretched down the block, we now quite literally can't give these fucking shots away. Maybe this surge dies down quickly and hospitals don't get as slammed as they did during Omicron because we have a lot of people with some immunity, but that's not how this ends. It's Literally not how it works. How the hell do you think it's gonna go once the variants keep evolving and they will? and the government actually runs out of funding, and shots cost money later. You have to pay for it. And if you're wondering, what the fuck? Is that gonna happen? Yeah, it is. And soon, and for the rest of your life, probably. Let's talk about variants. Because Omicron was so transmissible, and so very many people remain unvaccinated around the world, a potpourri of variants of concern, which is the actual technical term, are competing day in and day out around the world and at home here in America to become the next Delta, the next Omicron, the next household name. The current title belt holder in America is the BA2.12.1 subvariant, and it is 30 to 50% more transmissible than the already wildly transmissible BA2. And while none of these seem to be more severe than past variants in isolation for you, one person, Newer variants are growing more differentiated. The European Center for Disease Prevention and Control said last week preliminary studies suggest a significant change in antigenic properties of BA4 and BA5 compared to BA1 and BA2, especially compared to BA1, and that's Omicron. What happens when variants and subvariants fall too far from the proverbial tree? As Andrew Joseph wrote this week in Stat News, they look distinct enough from past forms of the virus that they can evade people's immunity and trigger infections. And that's just what we're starting to see. When OG Omicron blew through all your friends in January, we assumed we'd get a break after. We did, right? Again, cases, hospitalizations, and deaths dropped to all-time lows. And holy fuck, did that feel so good. That break is over in a real way. In science, Gretchen Vogel wrote, initial studies suggest BA4 and BA5 can elude the immunity of patients who were infected with BA1 strain, while in South Africa caused a much larger wave than BA2. When the United States and so many other places got relatively in the clear and de-emphasized cases, we not only gave up our ability to create a map of the territory not only ignored how symptomatic cases affect family life and work life, and further left the immunocompromised out to dry, we considerably depleted our ability to sequence for the virus and new variants, to grasp just what the hell is going on out there. And in turn, we might actually have a drastically poorer understanding of the COVID landscape than we did even last year. Which is really saying something, because you might remember, testing was never our strong suit. So if a population were depending on immunity from shots and in previous infections, but then a subvariant or three came along that evaded the body's immune response, what does that mean? Well, first, it means uh, you can get it again, or for the first time, even if you've had three shots. These things, these shots, were never go- as incredible as they are. They were never going to completely 100% prevent transmission. Anyone who told you that doesn't have a fucking clue how these any vaccines have worked ever, right? Second, it means we don't have a damn clue what percentage of the population is vulnerable again, again with the complexity, just when we've dropped nearly all mitigation efforts. Some states are tracking reinfections, but the CDC itself doesn't even seem to be. Now, you may say, Okay, so COVID is becoming endemic, and like the flu, or even a cold. I've only gotten the flu once or twice ever, and I get colds a few times a year. It's annoying, and sometimes it sucks, but this is doable, right? Well, fuck, maybe for you, Todd. Not for a lot of folks. Not in aggregate, not unless we do more. Just because this coronavirus is starting to reinfect people like its other coronavirus brethren, like the common cold, doesn't mean the long-term implications are the same. For example, you don't get long cold like you get long COVID. And again, think of the aggregate. More broadly, consider the economic implications of, quote-unquote, just another cold. As economist Tyler Cohen pointed out this week, he said, One 2003 estimate estimate, suggested that the common cold costs us $40 billion a year. So even if just a small percentage, say 5% of the infected, get long COVID, is 40 billion a year a baseline cost we're just willing to assume? If the answer is yes, then wow. But also, 40 billion is just table stakes because these things aren't the same. This isn't a cold we're talking about, and we're increasingly doing little to prevent this scenario from coming to life. Vaccinations, alpha, delta, omicron, n- n- all of them thrown together different for everyone. They may have provided a majority of the population with some, again, hugely varied, level of immunity. And that's fucking awesome. We went through hell to get there. But we've got something. And that can and is holding off a lot of, but not all, severe outcomes. But keep in mind, all of those things happened, vaccinations, alpha, delta, and Omicron, when we were still wearing masks and when most of our vaccines were most potent still, T-cells for life. Infection-wise for the virus, increasingly evasive now, and finding not even a cloth mask in sight, replicating in America is now akin to eating at an all-you-can-eat buffet. We, on the other hand, are deeply engaged in a highly technical process called fucking around and finding out. Let's talk about the in-between place. It's estimated that at least 24 million Americans already have some version of long COVID, just the first cohort in perhaps the most voluminous disabling event in almost a hundred years. But there's still so many unanswered questions. Like, what the hell is long COVID? How do we test for it? Do vaccines prevent it? How do we treat it? And as I wrote last week, what percentage of positive cases get long COVID? Is it 10%? 30%? 5%? Who the hell knows? When we stop counting cases and we stop sequencing cases, like we just talked about, we get further away from answering the latter, and thus being able to understand, if at all, who may be more likely to get it, and what support structures we need to build to support an enormous and entirely new underlying condition. I mean, it's more complicated than this. Right? But let's say we find out, okay, it's 11%. 11% of infections are going to get it, are going to get long COVID and need support for brain fog and breathing and exhaustion and, and cardiovascular stuff. Okay, what's 11% of the 100 million cases uh, the administration's predicting this winter? Look, minimal but heroic research may be honing in on the who gets it question because science is awesome. But because science is awesome, additional research just opens the door for more questions. Take another step back, and we have to ask how exceptional will America host to a disproportionate number of cases and inversely, 68th in the world, vaccines? How exceptional will we be with regard to long COVID compared to the rest of the world? And yes, war in Ukraine has rightfully distracted us. And yet, we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time to operate society and our economy, but also work to reduce infections and hospitalizations and cratering our society and economy again. We are so intent on moving on from COVID. We're just refusing, flat out fucking refusing to do the work to understand what tens of millions of people will seemingly be dealing with for the rest of their lives. As infections and reinfections continue to pile up from those subvariants, we're tracking even less well than before. So again, we come back to who gets long COVID. On the one hand, early preprint research caveat with the biggest grain of salt, claims that a higher viral load may be an indicator of vulnerability to long COVID symptoms. But another analysis shows that over a few months in 2021, 75% of long COVID patients weren't actually hospitalized when they tested positive for COVID. Only later, when breathing problems, coughing, crushing fatigue, and hypertension, among other symptoms, drove them to check into the hospital. Here's the full Context from the New York Times. While two thirds of patients had pre existing health conditions in their medical records, nearly a third did not, a much larger percentage than Dr. Patia Santongo, an assistant professor of infectious disease epidemiology at Penn State, said he would have expected. These are people who have been healthy and they're like, guys, something is not right with me, he said. And further, the study did not include people covered by government health programs like Medicare or Medicaid though it did include people in private Medicare Advantage plans. That's probably a drop in the ocean compared to what the real number is. Dr. Claire Steves, a clinical academic and physician at King's College London, who is not involved in the new research, said. A drop in the ocean. I mean, if there's one thing that's clear to me, it's we should be talking about and reacting to two obviously related, but different public health crises. SARS-CoV-2 slash COVID, you know, getting infected and and initial symptoms, and long COVID. But we're not. Like climate, we have to talk about this more. We have to. When we talk about it, when it becomes the social norm, people in power have to take responsibility. And right now, there's none. We're minimizing the personal, societal, and economic implications of COVID, much less long COVID. We're committing epistemic injustice, a hallmark of American healthcare. We're asking too much of a healthcare system that's completely burnt out. We're failing to provide a safety net to the millions of service workers who can't just stay home through another wave. We're linking safety to hospitalizations with pretty green maps that are not functional. We're telling people they need a boost to protect ourselves and each other, but not giving them time off to get one. We're telling them they need that booster now, but they don't need masks. No, no, no. And no tickbacks. The government can't even get people to sign up for the National Institute of Health's long COVID research project, Recover, a project that should have a huge marketing spend behind it. Our fractured-ass health system is terrible at these studies, unlike the UK, who, definitely while imperfect, used a centralized 40,000-person study to produce real, useful results for drugs and to shoot down Bad Results for Good, who used a centralized 40,000-person study to produce real, useful results. Clinicians and regular people don't know how to gauge safety outside what they see and feel on the day-to-day, and that's partly because we simply aren't doing the work to find out how safe they are on the macro. The only treatment that might work for long COVID, maybe, Paxlovid my Twitter has been increasingly filled with very online people getting infected or reinfected and then swearing on the benefits of a five-day course of Pfizer's miracle oracle, oracle, oral drug, Paxlovid. No oracles here. How well does it work? Does it actually prevent deaths? Fun story. We're not actually sure because Paxlovid was tested on unvaccinated people who'd never previously contracted the virus. Why is that bad? So, again unvaccinated people, now 75% of the U.S. has at least one shot, right, who'd never previously contracted the virus. It's the year of our Lord, 2022. Again, 76% of adults have at least one shot, and also some quickly growing percentage has been infected more than once, maybe more than once, with more than one variant. And now some Seemingly small, but who the fuck knows? Percentage of people who take Paxlovid are testing positive all over again after finishing the five-day course. I'm so glad it's helping people feel better. That's fucking great. Despite everything, prescriptions for Paxlovid are finally, they're rising over 300% from April to May. Still hard to find. Doctors don't know what the fuck to do. All spring, patients were demanding it and doctors had no idea it even existed or who qualified, if they're allowed to prescribe it. Apparently that's getting easier, more available. I fucking hope it's really getting people back on their feet, back to work and saving lives. Even if it works a little bit, right? That's a win we can take, for sure. But it needs to be wildly more accessible and we need to know more about when and who it works for. And then there's this. Government-funded stockpiles will run out in the fall just before the same government, our government, is predicting 100 million new cases. Again, it's going to cost money. And what about in all those low-income countries are struggling to vaccinate their citizens? Of the 30 million courses of Paxlovid that Pfizer is likely to produce in the first half of this year, which is almost over, holy shit, of the 30 million courses they're likely to make, 28.4 million have already been claimed by wealthy countries. Pfizer has licensed a generic version to be produced and distributed right at home in those countries, but it won't be free, and it won't be available until 2023. And we still don't know if it works on vaccinated people. We have so much to learn, but we are unwilling to ask the questions. So what's next? One of the things we did learn in the past two years is that we can finally, thank you, Dr. Kariko, make mRNA vaccines, and they are fucking awesome. Full stop, Right? But since we didn't get them to enough people and quickly, we need updated ones like yesterday and probably annually for a very long time. I want to be clear so you understand. The vaccines you got, incredible, world-changing, one of the greatest things humanity has ever done, are based on the original virus, the original variant of COVID. Two and a half years later, there's been tens of thousands of new ones, variants of concern like we talked about. There's a few already raging that are not just – Variants of the original, but sub of Omicron, which was different enough. So what's up? Moderna's trialing a bivalent booster. It protects better against more than one variant, uh, like the annual flu shot does, right? But is it already stale? Because that's based on beta. I told you, I don't know. I'm not a goddamn virologist or even a microbiologist, despite my appearances. All I knew is the new booster is designed to target not only, again, the original variant, like current boosters are, but also beta, Remember beta? Probably not. I can't remember how I got into this room or fucking breakfast. Beta was a year and a half ago, barely even registered in the US. Fuck. Okay, what else? Well, another shot under development will target Omicron. And all that sounds great until you remember again, we're fighting the last war all over again. There've been three dominant variants since February. February is like a week ago slash a thousand years ago. What, what about BA-4 and BA-5 and what's coming in this fall? And I understand that these things are hard and take time. And I'm so glad we've vaccinated and protected so many people. We can't live in a snapshot of time and call it a day. We need to be doing everything we can to run ahead of this thing. We have to go all out on research, trials, production, distributing, and yes, marketing. We have to stop this thing at its source. And that might mean at your nose. In 2020, when people first asked me, hey, when are we going to have a vaccine for COVID? I said, I have no fucking idea. I read a newsletter for my sweatpants. But then I called a bunch of really smart folks. That's my job. And I tried to triangulate as much as I could possibly understand their responses. And it seemed like the most constructively conservative common answer was 18 months, if we're lucky. Thanks to decades of work before now from folks, again, like Dr. Creco, just 12 fucking months later, we all... Quietly sobbed our eyes out as we watched a live stream on CNN of those 18-wheelers packed with frozen shots rolling away and towards a government-funded max vaccination site near you. We can do it again, right? Not the way we're going right now. That was Operation Warp Speed. There is no Operation Warp Speed anymore, which is fucking dumb. Because there's eight different nasal vaccines in clinical development and three in phase three trials. You might remember from 2020, that means the ones with the most people. It's already graduated. Some vaccines never make it to phase three. And look, while we got super lucky with these things, and again, nothing in trials or vaccines is ever guaranteed. They fucking fail all the time. That's science. We should be throwing everything we have at finding out if nasal vaccines are for real or even safe. We'll get to that. You are almost certainly going to get COVID, or whatever else hellish things my children have at any given day, by inhaling it through your nose or your mouth. And a nasal vaccine could kickstart something called mucosal immunity, which can stop viruses before they really even get started. Here's the problem. We're not 100% sure how mucosal immunity works, or if a nasal shot could affect uh, the brain, which is just up the block. The good news is, the entire world depends on us finding out, kind of like round one with the original shots. The bad news is, this time, nobody wants to pay for it. Despite the fact that, as I've explained here in just a few hundred thousand words, this thing is spiraling out of control again, or starting to spiral. Call it what you want. This is not only a failure of leadership, but a willful abdication of it. Look, many, many years from now, after the Second Civil War and Avatar 12, we might look back at this as a shared time of suffering and struggle and innovation. But today we are increasingly less together, and that starts at the top. All of this time and suffering, the deaths, the 2020 election, January 6th, the lab leak theory, the Snyder Cut— Increasing polarization and lack of trust and a huge variety of new lived experiences means we share very little commonality. There's a million public health officials I have come to know and read and admire in the past two years, but I think it's safe to say many of them were unprepared to talk about a pandemic in real time, much less guide this angry, fractured country through one. Look, ever since we started washing our hands and stopped pooping where we eat, infectious disease historically has taken a backseat to a huge variety of chronic illnesses the American lifestyle causes. We've spent a gajillion dollars on heart disease and cancer and elections and erections, for that matter, and not a whole lot on air filtration and local health clinics and school nurses. And yet, it's also important to understand that COVID is not the first time our healthcare system has failed to operate like a well oiled machine. It is, in fact, a fractured, backwards, fucking expensive, fax machine dependent, just in time, paper based, profit and procedure focused clusterfuck, which is increasingly the target of ransomware, often staffed by selfless heroes. Overregulated in some places and not nearly enough in others. Look, arguing for, say, degrowth, saying the government simply failed to vaccinate every person in the country, as if Joe Biden could have th- one clicked 330 million vaccinated Americans into his fucking Amazon card, all of it reveals a profound lack of understanding of how the entire system, from the federal to local governments, for-profit hospitals, insurers, pharmacy chains, primary care, how they just simply don't work together on a regular basis. This post and this episode is so long because the problem is so complicated and because our systems from Senate confirmations to the CVS mobile app fucking suck. Through all of this, the lack of coherent, useful guidance from the top has crippled our collective effectiveness. Maybe if the people at the top said, we're going to do everything we can to get ahead of this and to make sure it doesn't happen again, other people would do that too. I don't know. Are they not telling everyone to get boosters because the government won't be able to pay for them soon? Or because the boosters aren't quite as effective because they're getting increasingly outdated? Or because everyone's just fucking mad at each other? Or is it because they don't want to start shit when election season is right around the corner? That's right. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. The fucking election is around the corner. And here's where shit truly hits the fan. Depending on when I actually finish this, again, I wrote it for like a week, the U.S. midterm elections are something like, I don't know, it's like 167 days away? I don't know. Here's what's at stake. Uh, the, the House, the Senate, maybe even the presidency, if the Republicans get the House and Senate and decide to change the president— 36 governorships out of 50, and like a million essential state and local races. If you think the government isn't functional now, just wait until we get closer and everyone's completely distracted, even more so than they are now by war in Europe, by fossil fuel profiteering, China being shut down again, a bear market by the richest man in the world fleeing to Brazil after offering an employee a horse in exchange for sex, by Be Real, by Starbucks and Amazon and Apple union busting, by, holy shit, did you see who's leaving SNL this season? Like, the midterm elections will consume us, distract us from COVID. Of course, they won't consume us as much as a presidential election, unfortunately. The point is there's already enough on the line politically with June next week, that absolutely no one is going out on a limb for anything that isn't about a flag pin. Where we are today, a million officially dead, probably a million more uncounted, tack on another half a million or so for people who died uh, with cancer or heart disease, who died because of COVID, not of it, tens of million more with long COVID, almost 10 million immunocompromised people still in hiding, supply chains all over the world still in the shitter, All that is the result of the final year of a very corrupt GOP administration who, yes, started and ran Operation Warp Speed, which worked incredibly well. And the first year of a timid, at fucking best, Democratic administration, a majority under which, yes, 76% of the country was vaccinated. Wow. And then we stopped because of war and inflation and burnout and Joe Manchin and let's go fucking Brandon. What makes you think a more fractured federal government would be more focused on getting the COVID job done domestically, much less abroad? Again, that's in November, December, January, when they're predicting 100 million more cases. These variants are just going to keep going. Let's think through this. What makes you think that fractured government would do a warp speed for pan-coronavirus vaccines and nasal spray vaccines? What if hospitals are overwhelmed again on November 8th? And again, they probably won't be but we're doing increasingly less to guarantee that. We're literally just leaving it up to the virus. It's hard to think of a Congress that could possibly rise to the occasion less than the current one. But do you honestly think a GOP House and Senate that spends all their time trying to impeach and remove Biden to rule out abortion everywhere would take time to fully fund COVAX? or to fund Biden's $81.7 billion budget request for pandemic preparedness? Those guys? The 203 Republicans who voted last week against a bill to punish price gouging by fossil fuel companies? The 192 Republicans who voted last week against a $28 million emergency fund to address the critical, horrifying baby formula shortage, two weeks after the Supreme Court said, you have to have your baby. Whether you can feed them or not, whether or not you're healthy or they're healthy or you were raped, or do you mean the 357 sitting Republican legislators in battleground states that have used the power of their office to discredit or try to overturn the 2020 presidential election? Those guys? They don't even have power yet. We're just talking about practice. I want you to leave this interactive, long-form experience fucking sorry. With the understanding that, one, I need an editor, and two, we are semi-protected, and that helps, and it took a lot of work, and it shows, but arguably already more vulnerable than we've been in over a year. That it could get worse before it gets better, that we cannot depend on leadership of any federal party to turn it around, much less to work together, but also that there's so much we can do. And it is precisely when we stop talking about what we can do that we give up any chance for a better future. State and local governments are the way. Many states are lost to the bullshit, but it's drastically more affordable for us to fight and for you to donate or run at the state and local level, and the impacts are felt more intimately. We can elect people who will leave open the opportunity for future mask mandates, however short-term they might need to be. We can elect people who actually use the money the federal government has provided for ventilation improvements in schools and offices, who will require ventilation and air cleaning, and who will encourage masks, who will double down on wastewater, building a 21st century weather channel but for infectious disease, who will front mass vaccination sites again when we need them, who will recruit, train, and hire more nurses and doctors and nurses and doctors of color. Who will require paid time off and paid sick leave? Who will train local health administrations and clinicians in pandemic preparedness? Who will reduce local air pollution? Who will fight diabetes and other underlying health conditions? Who will improve lives on the daily and make COVID less deadly? We can do both. It's fucking awesome. We can elect people who will throw everything they have at climate change. Yes, you're welcome. Check your bingo card. Understanding that a hotter world means everyone's chasing cooler temps, which means animals with animal viruses living closer to humans who can now receive those viruses. Cities and states, to be clear, like, cannot vaccinate the world, which is a huge thing. Again, I've talked about it a million times. They can't really produce nasal vaccines or even the next Paxlovid. But they can sure as shit build the safety net we've never had. So this and the inevitable next pandemic aren't quite so bad. We are semi protected We've done a lot of work. But the virus is evolving faster every month, and we're simply not keeping up with it because, and again, I want this to be your takeaway, we've decided not to. So I wrote this so I could work out my own understanding of the current landscape. And extrapolating on a rapidly changing set of factors, imagine how the next few months and years Who fucking knows? Might go. And I don't want to be a pessimist. But I also don't want to be caught off guard if and when things get worse again. So much has changed and there's no going back. But because we never decided to do what we had to, to keep doing what we had to, the future may feel very similar to the past. I don't think we're ready to do it all again and it doesn't have to be that way. If this helps you more, feel more grounded in what's happening, even if it gives you same anxiety, please share it with your family or friends or Joe Biden or whoever the fuck. I appreciate you listening. I hope you have a great rest of the week. Take care.